Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning, if you can. Why don't you get on your feet? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus. Come on, I want you to pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, open up our ears to hear your voice today. God, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Lord, we sing, show us your glory, Lord. So give us eyes. Give us eyes to see. Help us tune in, Lord. Tune in to the reality of heaven today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Why don't you slap your neighbor next to you? Give him a high five something. Say, tune in. What do you believe in God for in, the, in, in Pentecost weekend? I, I want to, you know... My wife was talking about uh, us partnering together, and we're believing God with you. And I want to issue a challenge, a question. What are you believing God for that May 21st through the 23rd? Who is it? The, maybe the neighbor, the family member, the friend? Do you hear me this morning? Who are you believe, What are you believing for? Maybe you're believing for somebody to be healed. Whatever it is, I want you to begin to engage your faith with what it is that you're trusting and believing God for that weekend. It's going to be a powerful weekend. And uh, you, you, know, you can go back time and time again. As long as there was a vessel to fill, God poured out. And it's the same is true today. As long as there are, there's a vessel, as long as there's a, a body, as long as there's a head, as long as there's a somebody, God's going to pour out his spirit on people who are hungry. So come ready. Let me see your Bibles. How many of you got your Bibles this morning? Let me see them or your devices, whatever you use. Awesome. Amen. Good to see your Bibles. I love my Bible. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to John chapter 1. Notice the theme this morning, John chapter 1. I want to just highlight real quickly, when Christ, before Christ came, before the fullness of time came, that Jesus stepped into creation. By the way, Jesus always was. He, he wasn't just born as a baby and that's when he showed up. Jesus has always existed. He was back in the beginning, John 1, 1 tells us, he was in the beginning and he was a part of creation. Everything that is, everything that exists today is because Jesus was creating. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all were present in creation. All of them, yeah. And that when Jesus came in, in John 1, before he came, before the, his birth, if you take a look at humanity, the Bible says that the people sat in great darkness, that there was chaos in the land. They, had, they, had, um, they were living under, under sin. They had abdicated their authority. Man had abdicated his authority to sin. There had been 400 years without a word, without any prophetic revelation. Can you imagine not, not being able to go to church, not, not going to church, not sitting in the presence, the tangible presence of the Lord, not having a revelation of who Christ is for 400 years. The Bible says that people perish without what? Revelation, without vision, without a prophetic revelation, people perish. And that's exactly what was happening. They were sitting in darkness and Christ comes. The word is made flesh. The word, the creator, was made flesh. The creator stepped into creation. And we know that the word became flesh. The revelation of God became tangible. This wasn't an abstract idea any longer. This wasn't just types and shadows. But God stepped into creation. He was tangible. They could touch him. They could feel him. They could see him. They could hear his voice. The Word became flesh. God's idea of who, who He is, God's expression of, his, of Himself stepped into creation. And He became, the Bible says, that He was the life of men. That the men were sitting in darkness, that all of creation was sitting in darkness, but Christ came in verse, it says uh, in, in verse 4, in him was life. He brought life. There was, he, he didn't just bring the breath of life. He brought the God kind of life, the Zoe, God of, the kind of life that only God can give. 
So he comes into creation and he brings life. He brings victory over death. They were sitting, perishing year after year after year, perishing under the curse of sin and death. And Christ comes and brings victory over sin and death. And his life, the Bible says in verse 4, was the light of men. No longer sitting in darkness or confusion. No longer sitting without revelation. But he becomes the life of men. And he came in the fullness of time. God became flesh. The word there, the, the logos, the word of God, the logos of God was a, was a philosophical idea. But John in his writing takes a philosophical idea and makes it personal. He says this, this force in nature, the, the Greek philosophy, the force in nature that keeps everything in order, that keeps everything from spinning out into chaos. This unseen, unknown force is the logos. John says this logos is the word. This logos became flesh and dwelt among us. It's no longer an unseen reality, unknowable force. This force is Jesus Christ. This force that's holding all things together is the Messiah. And he's come. He stepped into creation. The anointed one has stepped into creation for you and I. He's holding all things together by the word of his power. He is the word and his word is holding all things together. Isn't that, isn't that quite an awesome analogy that, that he is the word, that he's the expression of God and it's by his own nature that he's holding it all together. Just think about that for a moment, that he is the expression of who God thinks he is. He's the manifest, the, the manifestation of God's word. Everything here, the word of God. Remember what God said in the beginning. He said, let there be and there was. His word went and and. Jesus is the expression of that word. Everything that God could say or would say about himself, Jesus is the expression of that. And he is ruling all things, the Bible says, by the word of his power. The essence of who Christ is keeps everything in order. The essence of his nature, the essence of his goodness, the essence of his power, his all of that Jesus is right now is sitting enthroned Ruling all things. Ruling over your life. The Bible says in Ephesians that he rules over every principality. He's ruling over every situation, over every detail of your life. That was just my introduction. John chapter 1, verse 12. Now that we got that far, let's, let's get down to verse 12. It says, but as many received him, to as many as, say that with me, received him. That's a powerful word. To them he gave the right. Say that. He gave me the right. To become children of God. To those who believe in his name. The Passion Translation says it like this. But those who embraced him and took hold of his name were given authority to become the children of God. I want to I take a look at this verse. That word received is the word to take hold of, to, to lay hold of, to take up as your own. It's not just a casual acceptance of an idea. It's not just a passing trend. That to receive Christ was to lay hold of him, to take hold of him for yourself. This wasn't just flirting with the idea of Jesus. It was making him your own. It wasn't just a casual uh, concept. It was forsaking all others to embrace Christ. And so when, when John writes here, those who received him, those who made him their own, who forsaked, who were forsaking all others and embracing Christ, to them he gave the right to become or the authority to become children of God. Not everybody embraced Jesus. Not, every, not everyone would take up, even today, not everyone takes up Christ to be their own. Not everyone embraces or receives Christ. If you go back to Luke chapter 4, in the town of Nazareth, Jesus enters in to preach his first message. And he walks over and he takes the scribe of, of the scroll of Isaiah from the scribe. And he begins to read from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. How many remember the story? Jesus is preaching. 
his message. And in verse 22, it says that they marveled at his word. They were amazed at his word. They were amazed at his teaching. And they were looking to each other saying, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter's son? I mean, really, this guy, he's saying all of this. Wow. They marveled at his word and, 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 and were amazed by what he was saying. But then Jesus continues his sermon Isn't it good when the preacher starts his sermon and you feel really good, but then he gets into the nitty-gritty areas of your life. You're like, shut up, sit down, stop this. Somebody get rid of that preacher, right? Come on. And that's what Jesus did. He He was preaching truth, and he moves into the deep parts of their hearts, and he says, there was many widows. There was many widows in Elisha's day, but he was only sent to the widow In the time of the famine, he was only sent to the widow of Zarephath. In other words, he was only sent to the foreigner. He wasn't sent to the people, the Israelites. He wasn't sent to God's people. He was sent to the foreigner. And then he goes on to say, and he says, and in the days when, uh, when, when, uh, when Naaman, in Luke chapter 4, when you have Naaman, who's got leprosy, there were a lot of lepers. But who did God show up to? He didn't come to his own. He went to Naaman the leper, the foreigner. And they got mad. They were mad that Jesus would say these things, that Jesus was, what do you mean? That you didn't come for your own? The Bible says that Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. He came... And they didn't want anything to do with him. And the Bible says, verse 22, they were in amazement. They were in awe. They were in wonder at his words. But by verse 28, they were chasing him out of town and trying to throw him off the cliff. All of a sudden, the people who thought that this was going to be their king didn't really want him. In Philippians chapter 3, it says, Paul writes this. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. That word perfect means to apprehend or to finish the race. I haven't already finished my race. I haven't finished the course. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. So I'm running the race. I'm pursuing after Christ to lay hold. I'm going to finish the race. I'm going to finish what I've started to take hold of, to apprehend, to make Christ my own. That he's laid hold of me. He's placed his hand on my life. He's called me his own and I'm going to receive him. It's that same root word. I'm going to lambano. I'm going to receive him. I'm going to make him my own. I'm going to apprehend him. There's nothing else in life that I'd rather have. In other words, my priority in my, in my pursuit is like David. One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after. All of the successes of this life, the, the benefits and all the, all the extras in serving Christ, they're great. But one thing that I've set my focus on, and that's Him, to make Him my own. Can you say that this morning? Come on, somebody. That, that life and all of its distractions, all successes are good. The skill, all of those things are great and they're needed and it's a part of life. But he is the essential. He is the source. So I'm making him not just so I can get something. But it's because he's laid his hand. Paul said he's, he's apprehended me. He's laid his hand on my life. I've not been made perfect but I press on. I've not finished, but I press on. If you keep reading in Philippians in, in Philippians 3, it says, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. I haven't. Paul, the apostle, is writing this. The man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament is writing this. I haven't made it my own. I'm still running the race. I'm still pursuing after him. I'm still pursuing Christ to make him my own. And I press on. I forget what lies behind. Thank God for what's happened. Thank God for the joys. Thank God for the disappointments. Thank God for the good times. Thank God for the bad times. But those are behind and I'm pressing on. I am making Christ my own. I'm going to receive Christ. I'm laying hold of Christ. And then John goes on in his writing. He says, but as many as received him, as many as received him, to them he gave the right. To them he gave the right to become children of God. 
That word right is the word in the Greek, exousia. It's, a, it's the word for power and authority. So he says to them, I gave the authority to become children of God. That same word is in, used in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 6. It says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. That you might know that the Son of Man has exousia, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Notice what he says here. So that you know that the Son of Man has authority over sin, I'm going to demonstrate power. This is, this, I have authority. I'm walking in authority, but I'm going to give you... Authority isn't always seen. When Jesus was walking and said, I forgive your sin, that's not a, it's not a visible... You can't see forgiveness. You hear it. You can talk about it. But you, it's not tangible like a paralytic getting up and walking. So when Jesus said, I walk in authority, we don't always see our authority. Let me say that again. You just missed it. We don't always see our authority. We can't always see the authority that's been given to us in Christ. But it doesn't mean that it's not there. Come on, you've been given authority in Christ. Just because you can't see something doesn't mean that it's not there. You've been given authority. We have to learn how to operate and to function in that authority. So Jesus acted in a demonstration of power for them to understand the authority that he walked in. In Luke chapter 9, we see both words used. In Luke chapter 9, 1, it says, And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power, dunamis, Remember that word? He gave them power, dunamis, dynamite, Holy Ghost, demonstrative, explosive power. He gave them dunamis and exousia, authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So there's, there's two where this is really powerful because you can, you can have authority but never act in power with the authority that you have. Likewise, you can have power and, and extend your authority, right? So you have to know both. You have to know dunamis and exousia. You have to know authority and power. So authority is our exousia power. We call it anointing, right? In, in church world today, we call power anointing. It's there, this Different, but the same. It's the, the anointing is the power to get the job done. The Holy Spirit anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good, healing all of those who are oppressed by the devil. You still with me? Act of power under authority. He was walking in authority, acting in power. Let me just keep breaking this down. You can, you can be a government leader. You can have a, a rule, right? A king. You can have kingdom authority, have rulership, and never exert power. You can be given authority and allow the enemy to do what he wants in your, in your kingdom. You can, you can have authority over your kingdom and allow the enemy to rule in, through strongholds in, in your territory, to come in against you, to war against you, to take your, your people captive. Now let's just, let's just keep breaking it down. You can have authority. You've been given spiritual authority, but you can allow the enemy to come in and set up strongholds in your life, to set up strongholds in your territory that he operates from, to spread lies and deceit in your life, and to create a stronghold of fear in your life. Come on now. You can, you can have authority over your life. You do. You've been given authority. Right? That's what, that's what John's writing. He's given you authority. Jesus gave his disciples exousia, gave them authority. But you can, you can have rulership and never exert power to kick the enemy out. You've got to take hold of your authority and the dunamis that you've been given. Acts 1.8 says you will receive weakness. No, that's not, what, that's not what is written, and that's not what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. He says, you'll receive power, you'll receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So you have been given authority, exousia, and power, dunamis, to operate and to deal with the works of the devil. Why did God... Why did God give us authority and power? Well, rewind the clock. Go all the way back 
Go all the way back to the garden. What did God say to the man and the woman? He said, I've given you authority to take dominion. He says, take dominion. You have authority. And when he allowed sin to come in and disobedience to come in, he abdicated that authority. He gave up that authority. And so why did Christ have to come? Well, one of the reasons is because he was restoring the authority he had given to his people. He was restoring authority and releasing power. And so as believers, we have to understand we've been given authority and power and we have to walk in what's been given. That means you can't allow the enemy and the lies of the enemy to wreak havoc on your life. You've got to take authority. The Bible says take every thought. Come on now. Every thought captive. Every thought. You can't allow your thoughts to run wild. You've been given authority over your mind. Somebody needed to shout amen. He's right there. You just got, that's a big deal. Take authority over your mind. Take authority over your thoughts. You don't have to allow bitterness and offense and the issues of this life to continue to wreak havoc in your life. The Bible calls those things strongholds. They're a place. A stronghold was a, was a fortified dwelling in, in a territory. The enemy would come in to a territory and set up a fortified dwelling. It was a place that they could operate. The enemy could operate from to infiltrate their, their opponent, their enemy's territory. And so what the, Paul tells us to be careful, to be watchful of the enemy's strongholds, to not allow a foothold or a stronghold in our life. What is he saying? He's saying don't give the enemy authority in your life. Don't give him a place of influence in your life. Don't allow that anger to give, give root to, to sin in your life. Don't allow that offense or the sin, the carnality of this life, don't allow that to take root in your life. Take authority over it. Take authority over that. Uproot that. Kick that out of your life. Don't allow that to continue. Recognize it for what it is. How do you do that? You got to recognize when that thing comes up, when you see the, the stronghold, when the light of the Holy Spirit searches your life, when the word of God is preached and illuminates areas of your life and you recognize, man, that's an area of pride or that's an area of carnality, that's worldliness. That's, and Jesus starts to deal with those issues of your heart. Respond in the authority that he's given to you. Don't allow that to continue. What we tend to do, what our carnal nature does, is say, well, it's not really that big of a deal. <clears throat> it's really not that big of a sin. It's really not that big of an issue. It was just a, was, you know, it's not. And what happens? When we don't deal with those things, scripturally, when we don't take them captive and deal with those things, what happens is we start living our, our lives around them. We start, we start structuring our lives around the lie. We start structuring our lives around what the enemy has put in our life, has infiltrated us with, and we just walk by, like, yep, yep, there's the stronghold, and we just keep going. But the lie and the infiltration that he's brought, we start structuring our lives around that. Case in point, someone ever told you that you'd never be good enough? Come on now, don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. Right? And then the next thing you know, 30 years later, you're trying to step into something that God's called you to do and you hear the taunt of the enemy. The person probably is dead and gone. They forgot they ever said it. But you remember. And there's an imprint in your life from what they said. It's a stronghold in your life. I can't do that because I'm not good enough. And your life for 30 years has been structured around the lie of the enemy and, and Christ has given you authority over that. <clears throat> you say, well, can God heal me of that lie? Yeah, if you take authority over it. The problem is we don't want to take authority. We've gotten comfortable with it. It's comfortable to say, ah, no, I'm just going to, right? It's gotten comfortable to say, well, I'm just not good enough. And then I won't step out and I don't have to change and I don't have to face that, right? I don't want to face that. Listen, a life with Christ means that you're going to face some ugly stuff. 
You're going to face the reality of who your carnal nature is so that you can become a child of God. He's given you authority to become something. Come on now. He's given you authority to become something, but you've got to operate in that authority. He's given you authority to become a child of God, to walk as Christ walked, to talk as Christ talked, to say what Christ says, to have the mind of Christ, to walk in victory. Come on now. So why would you not? I'm becoming a child of God. So if I'm going to become a child of God, it's constant. And we're going to talk about that in a second, but it's a constant I'm going to become who God's created me, intended me to be, he's writing the story, then that means I have to cooperate with him and take authority over my life. I think sometimes we come to Christ, and believe me, there's nothing wrong with saying, and I tell people that if this is where you're starting, then start. God, I I, I, I don't like this. I know it's not scriptural. I don't even have a desire to change it, though, so I need you to change me. That's, that's always a great place to start. But that's not maturity. That's, that's a place of immaturity. That's a baby saying, Mama, Daddy, help me because I don't know what to do. But when you mature in Christ, you start taking authority over your life and saying, This is wrong. This ain't staying. I know it's uncomfortable, but it's true. I know it's uncomfortable to have to look at your life and say, what is God making me into? And I've got to take authority and say, self, you're going to line up with the word of God. Self, you're going to line up. And when you understand internally the authority that God's given you over yourself, then you understand what it means to walk in authority in relationship with others. You have authority over those devils. I don't have a problem with devils. I don't. I don't have a problem with devils. Devils come, they, they don't want to deal with me. They've told me as much. I don't have to deal, I, that, all right? I don't, they don't want to deal. Why? Because there's an anointing. They've told me as much. They don't like the anointing. So I don't have to deal with devils. Devils are real easy. They got to go. We, we think, we view this you know, we have such a skewed view, sometimes a religious view. They're defeated. They, let, let me tell you, if you, you're dealing with a lie of the enemy, a bondage of the enemy, whether it's demonic, self, whatever its origin is, the devils are in bondage to their sin, to their disobedience to God. You think you're in bondage. They are, they are operating out of their bondage to rebel against God. And that, that bondage is lingering over them for all eternity. The judgment's coming upon You think you got it bad. They have no hope. They're defeated. I don't have to worry. I just got to remind. Hey, do you remember? I forgot. I've overcome you by the word of my testimony, by the blood of the Lamb. Do you remember what judgment's awaiting you? You have no authority in my life. This, this lie has no authority in my life. This place, this attack, this has no authority. I'm victorious over this. Christ already dealt with this. I'm good. So when you begin to understand authority, and what, what authority becoming a child of God means, you, you begin to walk in that authority in life with others. When, you did, when your face was... I'm not worried about this. I'm taking authority over this in Jesus' name. He's got this handled. When you, when you walk in authority, authority is positional. It's knowing who gave you that authority. It's delegated position. Where did it come from? If I understand that my position in authority is not my own. It doesn't, it doesn't say in verse 12, as many as received him, I, I had the authority. It says, he gave them authority. So I've been given exousia. I've been given authority. So the authority that I have, I walk in because of the position I am with Christ. What position do I have with Christ? I'm seated with him in heavenly places. So what Ephesians says, I've been, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. The, the same authority that's on him, I am joint heir, co-heir with Christ, seated in heavenly places. That's not arrogant, it's recognition. 
Not arrogance is walking around looking at me and, and bragging. You didn't do it. You didn't earn it. It was given to you by grace through faith. I've received it. I recognize it. I walk in it. It, it is the reality. It's authority. And when you operate in authority, you have to do it in alignment with the kingdom in which you function, right? If you're going to operate in authority, the minute that you step outside of the boundaries of that authority, you find yourself in an uncomfortable position. You find yourself outside, out from underneath the umbrella, if you will, of God's kingdom authority and the rain's pouring on you and you don't understand why. It's because you've operated outside of the authority that God's... That's why offense is such... This is why understanding offense is so important. When you start operating in offense, you're operating outside the umbrella of God's authority in the kingdom, and you're getting rained on. And you can't figure out why. Well, because you've stepped outside of the authority given to you. God's called us to walk together in unity and agreement. When you step outside of kingdom principles, you get wet. Right? But there's safety in walking in authority that God's given to you. Now this word dunamis, power, it's ability. It's, 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 fun, it's being able to enforce the authority that you've been given. You can say all day long that the gospel's good news, but if it doesn't change somebody's life, it ain't good news. You can say all day long the, the, the gospel is, is going to be peace for those in the storm, but if it doesn't bring peace and change in the middle of the storm then it's no good, right? So the gospel is authoritative. It's the rule of our life, and it is the power of God to salvation. It's both the authority, it's authoritative rule, and it is power, it is dunamis that changes our lives. It's both, and that's why it's the gospel. That's why it's good news. It's because it's not just words on a page, but it actually changes and transforms, so it's understanding the power that's in this book. He's given authority, authority and power. Amen. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is a great verse about authority, understanding kingdom authority. That word walk is a military term. It means to order or structure your life in alignment with the Spirit's direction. So when it says walk in the Spirit, it's saying to order or structure military rank and file your life with the Holy Spirit. So that's a great verse about authority. When you come in under authority of the Holy Spirit and he structures your life, you take authority over your life and you begin to live in this structure in line with the Holy Spirit, what does it say? You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So again, it's understanding authority and power, God's authority in your life. And thirdly, I'm going to jump into this word, the right to become. This word become children of God. The word here become speaks of an initial transfer but a continuation. We're adopted children. There's a, there's a point of adoption, but that adoption continues. He doesn't say one day you're my child and the next day, sorry, you're on your own. <clears throat> Hello. Did you hear me? He doesn't, he doesn't walk into your life and say, here I am. I, I choose you and I'm going to redeem your life the next day. He's, see you, peace out. Have a good, try it out on your own. He's become, you're becoming, he's giving you authority to become. He's making you into a child of God. It means to come to being. Three things, come into being, come to center stage and that you're being made. He's called you into the center stage. He's put you on display. You are the display of his glory. When he redeems your life, he pulls your life out of the pit of despair. He sets your feet into his kingdom. That moment, he puts you on center stage. And he says, this is my son. This is my daughter. They're a display, the greatest display of my glory. Think about creation for a moment and the greatness of, of his creation. 
the skies, the sunsets, the majestic nature, the, the, the tor- torrential rains and the storms and the hurricanes and all that creation is comprised. Think of the majesty of God that's displayed in creation. And yet he says, you, you, redeemed child, son, daughter, are the greatest display of his glory. The transformation of your life. The change of your life. He's calling you to the center stage. Not because of pride and arrogance and look at me. But look what Christ has done. He's redeemed my life out of the pit. He's changed me. He's saved. He's broken off the bondages of the past. He's broken off the lies. He's healed my life. He's restoring me. And he's put me in the middle of the stage. Remember though, you're not the main character. He is. Remember, the story's not about you. It's about him and his redemption work. You're, you're on display as, for his glory. He's the main actor. He's the one that's moved the puzzle pieces of your life. He's the one that's ordered the steps of your life. He's the one that's declared you justified. He's the one that's conquered sin and death for you. And so as we begin to do the act on stage with him, as he's changed us and made us into a new creation, he's the one that gets the glory. This word becoming or being made into talks about the essence of who we are. I love this, that it's about who we're being and who we're becoming. We talk a lot in, in, in church about transformation and change, but we never really dive deep into this, into this word of who are you being and who are you becoming. But this is, this is a Bible word. This, this is a Bible term. It's right here in John 1.12 that he gave the right to be, to become, that he's made you to be, and he's creating who you're becoming. Isn't that good news? That he's creating who you're becoming. That we're being made into his image. That he's being, that we're being made to display his glory. Jesus taught that a disciple would be like their teacher. So as disciples, as followers of Christ, we are being and becoming like him. So Christ is changing your essence. I want you to think about this for a moment. What was your essence? Who were you before Christ showed up on the scene? Who were you before, in verse 13, it says that we're born again, not of of flesh or man's desire, but of God's desire. Who were you before you were born again? Who were you before the DNA of God came and began to operate in your life? Come on now. And think about how he's changed your state of being. In one moment... You were born anew. In one moment, you were changed, taken from the, the, the DNA of the father, the devil, the liar, and changed into the DNA of heaven. All of a sudden, you were given potential that you didn't have before. All of a sudden, you were given the possibilities you didn't have before. All of a sudden, life shifted. You went from being in bondage to sin, your will and desires ensnared to the sin and and the things that so easily entangled you. Right to now, he's changed your life and opened up new possibilities, put your feet in a firm foundation, set his angels about you, giving you the power, the dunamis of the Holy Spirit, has identified you with his name, has written his name upon you, set a seal of the Holy Spirit upon your life. Your being has changed. You're becoming more like him. Christianity is not transactional, it's transformational. It's not showing up for church, checking the box and saying, I'm good, I'm done. It's living a life of transformation. And it starts when you recognize Him as Savior. When you receive Him as Lord. He gives you the authority to become a child of God. And He's making you. He's, you've become and you're becoming a child of God. It's not just showing up and punching the clock and saying, look at me, I've done my good deed for Sunday. I showed up at church and I'm good. It's becoming, who you're becoming, it's transformational. 
You know, the thing about transformation, though, that none of us like, and I can say that none of us like it because it's true, the thing about transformation that none of us like is it, it requires that we confront who we really are. Transformation requires us to recognize that old, dead, ugly self and to see who God's making us to be. You have to see the paradigms between who I was and who God's making me to be. And that's uncomfortable because it means we have to change. It means we have to take authority over that old, ugly self that still creeps in and says, no, I am a new creation in Christ. I'm not going to live according to that. I'm becoming a child of God. I am a child and I'm becoming a child. He's placed me. And I love this idea that he's not only, let me, let me, before I go on to that, he's changed me. He's changing my, who I am. Think about this. Think about the, the butterfly. The butterfly starts off as a caterpillar. Caterpillar comes around, they eat, they do their thing, they go into a cocoon, and they come out right now they don't look like a, they don't look like a caterpillar. They now look like a butterfly. They have antennas, they have big wings. They've grown, what, 2,000 times their original cell. You know, they're, they're massive, they're colorful. You know, some of you would never touch a caterpillar, but butterflies, you love the butterflies, right? Think about this for a moment, though. This caterpillar, this ugly-looking caterpillar, goes into a cocoon and comes out a butterfly. How does that happen? Because it is pre-programmed before it's created, before it's born. It is pre-programmed with DNA on the inside of it that says you're going to look like a caterpillar for so long. But when you get into a cocoon, another part of your DNA is going to kick in and you're going to look like a butterfly. I, I know you have to have help, so I'm just going to, I'm going to, before Christ, you look like an ugly caterpillar and nobody wanted anything to do with you except for the devil. Right? And you get into this place of a Holy Spirit cocoon and you come out looking totally different than what you did before. How does that happen? Because you're born anew. You're born again. Verse 13 tells us here in John 1 that you, there's a new DNA that's deposited on the inside of you. There's a, there's a heavenly DNA. And when that DNA activates, when Jesus says, you're becoming, it activates in your life and things start changing and you start looking like a butterfly. And there's some day that, that God's going to crack open that cocoon and you're going to soar like a, a, a butterfly set free, right? And, but until that day, until that, that trumpet sound happens, you're, you're constantly, continually being changed, metamorphosized, transformed into his image. You're becoming a child of God. Yes. And he places you, I love this idea, he places you in, on the center stage. You know, when you're backstage hanging out in the green room, you're the other part, you're you, right? You're just, you're just you. But when you go out on the stage and you're acting the role, you become that person. You become the person, a good actor, actress becomes the person that they're acting as. They've stepped into a new role. Your old self is still back in the green room. You've, you've resurrected, you're a new person. You're on center stage with Christ, leading the, leading the performance, leading the show, leading the dance, if you will. And he is not only the main actor, he's also directing. Not only is he the main one calling the shots, or the, he's the director and the actor. And it's, by the way, his script. And so we align ourselves. There's a term I use every once in a while, and I think it's so important for us as believers that we have to learn to dance in the moment. When you're, when you're acting on stage, one of the keys to acting, anyone in the theatrical world can talk about this probably better than I can, but there's a, there's a term about dancing in the moment. You have to be present in the moment. You, you, you have a script. You know what it says. There's a reality of, of what you're supposed to be acting. 
But you have to be able to improv and be in the moment with the person that you're acting with. And, and I think this is so true for us as believers because sometimes we get so focused on who God's making us to be or what he's called us to or what he's doing or what he's saying and the next thing that we forget that we're present in the moment with him. That right now in this very moment, right now in this moment, Jesus is standing right beside you. Right now in this moment, he's seated right there. He's closer than the air that you breathe. Right now. Right now, in this moment, he's making me. He's changing me. We get so caught up. And like, Lord, I know you got to change me. But we also have to be present and dance in the moment. Say, Jesus, what are you working in me right now? What are you doing in this moment? What are you speaking to me right now? Recognize the stillness of those moments. Recognize the power of those moments. When Jesus shows up and John the Baptist is baptizing Talk about a shocker. Here's the man. This is the man I've been preaching. What a shock. Here he is, the Lamb of God that's come to take away the sin of the world. Well, Jesus, we need to have a side meeting before we do anything. We got to, you know, we got to talk about this. This is going to cause some problems here, you know. Let's talk about this before we jump in. Y'all missed it. You'll come back around later and say, ha yeah, that was a bad joke, Pastor. I get it. No, he had to be in the moment. What's, what's Jesus doing? What's happening? What's the Father doing right now in the moment? What's God doing right now in the moment in your life? What's, he's making you to become, but who are you being? He's making you to become his child, but do you look like him today? And the things that you say and the places you go and the things that you do, do you look like Christ today? Who are you being today? Who are you being in this moment? What is Jesus working and saying to you? So John 1.12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God and to those who believe in his name. As we wrap up, worship team, you can come on back. As we wrap up, I just want to highlight that last word, believe in his name. wasn't going to talk about this, but I want to just highlight it for a moment. Everything that we do, we did this whole kingdom series, right? Walking in faith, right? If you, if you missed any of the kingdom series of the first, the first quarter of the year, go back and get it. You need, and I would encourage you, listen, re-listen, walk in a life of faith. It's, it's transformational. But this, he says, those who believe in his name, the foundation of everything that I just talked about, the foundation of authority, the foundation of becoming a child of God, the foundation, all of it is found in those words. Believe in his name. How does it happen? Believe in his name. That's the foundation. It's the word belief. It's the, it's, it's the fully committed to. That word belief that I am fully persuaded, fully convinced fully committed. This is belief. I'm in. I've transferred ownership of this. Remember, we've talked about this before. I've transferred. I've placed it into his hands. My life is in his. I've believed. A faith has illuminated a reality and belief, I'm fully convinced and persuaded. Faith shows me the reality of what can be. It's the spiritual realities of unseen things. And belief is saying, God, I'm fully persuaded. I'm all in. I'm fully persuaded. I'm convinced that this is a reality. And so when you do that, you live, when we say we live by faith, what we're saying is, Lord, an, a reality has illuminated in my life. The reality of who you are, the reality of unseen things. I see you for who you are. And I live believing in, fully persuaded, fully convinced that you're able fully capable, fully able. I'm convinced. And in that, we receive. When we believe in his name, we receive him. It's taking him in. And then he transfers by faith, through grace, authority into our lives to be and become children of God. It's a walk. It's a journey of faith. The just shall live by faith. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've, that Christ has come. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, that you came and you dwelt among us. We beheld you, we've seen you, we've touched you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that as we receive you, as we open up, we yield our lives, Lord, as we continually, continually yield our lives, as we continually surrender to you, Thank you, Jesus, that there's a continual flow of authority to be and to become children of God. You've called me. You've chosen me. And you're making me your child. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here this morning, you're watching online and you're present this morning, maybe you say, you know, Pastor, I... I hear what you're saying, but I'm not a child of God. I don't, I haven't embraced that reality yet. I haven't stepped into that reality. I hear what you're saying, but, but I haven't received Christ. Maybe I've prayed a prayer before. Maybe I've done the church thing before, but I haven't received Christ. He's not my own. I'm not being and becoming a child of God, but I need to be. I need to be. Jesus said, I'm the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's how you become a child of God, is through Jesus. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my disobedience. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me. I want to be a child. Just as we've heard this morning, I want to be your child. It's that simple. It's really that easy. You can pray that here right now. You can pray that online as you're watching. If you pray that prayer, if you, again, it's a start to the journey. If you've prayed that, and you're saying that in your heart today, Jesus, I need you. I want to become your child. Tell somebody. Tell somebody, I'm a child of God. Tell somebody I've become, and I am becoming a child of God. And then secondly, you need to get water baptized. Make a public declaration. I'm drawing the line in the sand. I am pursuing Christ. And water baptism is saying, I'm pursuing Christ. I'm bearing the old, and I'm pursuing Him. And then thirdly, I didn't, you need to get connected to a local church. You need to get involved, whether it's this church or another church. You need to get in a, a local church, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church and grow up in the things of the Lord. Allow that DNA, like we talked about, allow that DNA of God to activate in your life. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we worship you. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus.